Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby. Morning, Matt. Uh, another cool morning, although it's just afternoon, actually, but it's it is. still a relatively cool afternoon. <laughs> so you haven't had lunch yet, have no, you? No, I haven't had lunch ah, yet. Ah, come on. Here you go. <laughs> well, let's stop and have lunch. Yeah, that's right. You're going to faint Listeners, come back in about an hour. We'll have had lunch in a Listeners, welcome. Thrive Deeper uh, as we continue our journey through the book of Jeremiah, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, and uh, again, a lot of common themes, but we're sort of coming to the pointy end now of, of uh, Jeremiah's prophetic words in terms of what happens in Judah. Mm. Um, but I think important to remember also that what we're reading here isn't in chronological order necessarily, mm. and there no, are big themes that we're going to pull out. But let me just begin, Matt, by giving a little bit of historical context to what's happening at this sort of time when we're seeing uh, Jeremiah 23, which is where we're beginning to 33, was written. Obviously, Jeremiah is prophesying during the final decades of the kingdom of Judah. Israel's already been uh, taken captive and uh, the superpower of the time was the Neo-Babylonian Empire, which was led by King Nebuchadnezzar, who we're going to hear about fairly soon. In 605 BC, he defeated Egypt at the Battle of Carchemish, which established the Babylonian dominance in the region. And that event really marked a turning point in Judah's history as they fell under Babylonian yep. control. Uh, Judah at the time was experiencing a severe spiritual and moral decline. We've heard a lot about that as we've talked through uh, Jeremiah and even previously in the Book of Kings. The religious practices had become corrupted, idolatry, false prophets were just leading the, the people astray. And then in 597 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar launches a campaign against Judah and besieged Jerusalem. Mm. And we're sort of coming into that period now. Uh, during that invasion, many of the prominent individuals, including King Jehoiachin, who we spoke about last week, were taken captive to Babylon. Jeremiah's prophecies warned of this impending destruction and urged the people to submit to the Babylonian mm. rule. We're going to hear a bit about that as well as we will talk through this passage but despite Jeremiah's warnings, there were these false prophets who kept encouraging resistance against Babylon. Mm. And uh, they claimed that Babylon's power would be broken and that Judah would be victorious. However, Jeremiah kept countering those false messages with what God had told him was going to happen. Um, and of course, Jeremiah faced huge opposition and persecution for his prophecies, mm. but remained committed and faithful to God's word. And of course, as we know, Jerusalem was besieged once again by the Babylonians, leading to its eventual destruction. Well, come into yeah, that now. Yeah, it's confusing mm. uh, because they were so persistent, yes. weren't they? They they just really believed that they were going to be delivered. Yeah, uh, you know, they felt entitled as as we're God's people. God would never allow this to happen. Yeah, uh, they did trust in the alliances with the other nations mm. as well. And so, you know, in five after um, five ninety seven, you know, when King Nebuchadnezzar then withdrew, yes, uh, he didn't destroy the city then, no, uh, he, right. but he left um, Zedekiah in charge. Yep. You know, and then Zedekiah gets it into his thick head. Oh no, we're going to rebel against it. You know, for whatever reason, if he thought that, you know, he and the other nations could sort of hold out, it was just ridiculous though. And of course, then Nebuchadnezzar comes back, and he was really, really mad. Mm. And that's where you get this prolonged siege. Yeah. Terrible things sieges were because you're basically starving the people out. Totally. And I think Zedekiah was kind of, and, and the people through Zedekiah were probably leaning on the fact of God's promise to them, but not on their commitment <clears throat> to him. And it's like, yeah. oh, we can keep ignoring our part of the deal because God's going to uphold his. And they were, in, as you say, in idol worship and, and all those sorts of things. And, you know, that that yeah. was a broken relationship. Right. So, And I mean, Jeremiah was saying, you know, this city is going to be completely destroyed. 
destroyed mm-hmm. and, and you know including the, the temple it didn't need to be that bad actually if they would have submitted That's earlier right. yeah. uh, then it, you know the destruction would not have been that bad but of course you got these other false prophets and and we're actually picking up from the second part of chapter 23 today where yeah. you get the these false prophets and there's a long section that deals with the problem of these false prophets. Now, these are the guys that are saying the things that are sort of backing up this, this theology that's being that's circulating around, that no matter what we do, we're God's people. There was this sense of invulnerability that yeah. God has promised that, you know, that this is God's city and God dwells, you know, in this city and he's going to, you know, defend it. Regardless of our behavior. That's right. Regardless of our, of our behavior. Mm. I mean, they prob- I don't think they thought that their behavior was that bad. Right. Uh, you, you get the sense that they really didn't think that mm. there was anything that far wrong. Mm. Of course, then Jeremiah's words sound really heretical in this, you know, these false prophets are saying, oh, it's going to be great and it's, you know, everything's going to be good and God's going to deliver us and all of that. You know, people are loving that. You can imagine people are loving that message. Whereas Jeremiah is saying, surrender to the Babylonians. In fact, at one point he says, you know, he encourages people during the siege to actually go out and surrender to the, yes. to the Babylonians. Yeah, that's right. So internally, that's a problem because it threatens the integrity of the siege mm. if people start going out to the Babylonians. But, you know, he's saying everyone that goes out to the Babylonians will live, but everyone that remains in the city is going to you know, be slaughtered. And, I mean, that's pretty much what happens, that's that right. when they break into the city, it's an absolute bloodbath. And the, and the city and the temple are raised to the ground in 586 B.C., so the, these false prophets have a lot to, um, you know, there's a lot of responsibility on their shoulders for misleading. Yeah. I mean, we love a, you know, we love a positive message and a message of peace and tell me all the good things. And I, I feel like this is, you know, I read this feeling like this still has application today so, in the oh, sense absolutely. that, you know, often the thing that God is wanting to get across to us is that he's just grieved at things in our lives. Mm. We just want to hear the positive stuff. Mm. And we're not really willing to hear the hard word that God wants to bring. And and there's this defensiveness that we can put up to God. And, and then we wonder why, oh, why isn't God speaking to me? I feel so dry. Or I feel like, you know, because we just always want to hear positive stuff. And yeah. actually the thing often that we most need to hear is we need to hear a message of God's grief over yes, us. Absolutely. You know? and, and of course that comes from God's love because, you know, he wants us to walk with him. So, you know, I mean, that, that's, I feel like that's an enduring, enduring yeah. issue. And also recognizing that who God, you know, who God chooses to use as God's prerogative. And we need to submit to that, even if it's not what we necessarily think yeah, that's is right. what should be happening. Whoever God's put in authority over us is who God's put in authority over us. Yeah. And, um, the importance of recognizing that. Yeah, so he was calling them to submit to the Babylonians. This right. is, you know, this is God doing this, and uh, this is the way it's going to go. You are going to serve the Babylonians, and mm. they, you know, th- they were called to submit to that. It's interesting uh, going into chapter twenty-four, Stu, that uh, Jeremiah, you know, the word of the Lord it says yeah. came to me. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says from verse four of chapter twenty-four, mm. and he says this vision of these uh, baskets of figs. figs. And he actually says uh, here, like these good figs, so one basket of bad figs, one of good figs. He said, like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, Mm. whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. So at this stage, a whole lot of exiles have already gone. gone. Uh, But, you know, people at, at home have, you know, they're trying to hold out under this delusion. And it's interesting that he says, 
as soon as they submit, and, and even for a lot of those exiles, probably wasn't willingly necessarily <laughs> submitting in that, um, because a whole lot of people were deported in 597 when yes. Nebuchadnezzar came in to put down um, Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin's rebellion. That yep. was, you yep. know, he, and he took a whole lot of people, about probably about 10,000 uh, into exile. That at the would time. have been Daniel and people like uh, that. No, Daniel Not was earlier, late, actually. Earlier than yeah, that Daniel again? was okay. probably around 605 okay. when. Uh, he was amongst some of the top nobility, essentially taken hostages right. uh, into uh, into Babylon in the very first incursion. Okay, but it was actually Ezekiel that went in five um, five ninety seven BC. Remember, we're working backwards in our yes, numbers. That's right, uh, because we're BC. So um, that was when Ezekiel went into exile. So at this point, Ezekiel is talking to the exiles, mm. but Jeremiah is you know is also sending message mes- messages to the exiles as well. And and here he you know he says, and I find this interesting that they are already in a sense because they are uh, they've submitted to their to the consequence. Yeah, I'm already. It's like they're they're already on the um, path to credited yeah, as exactly. yeah as credited as righteousness. In, yes, as righteous in that sense because they're already on that on the path to redemption. Yeah, uh, again obedience over success. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, they've been obedient to Jeremiah's word. Yeah, that's submit, right, and that's what they've done. Yeah, whereas the you ones know, Jerusalem, who stayed, yeah, exactly, they're still holding out, in and they're Jerusalem. the bad figs. That's right, yeah, because they're holding out against the Babylonians, mm. but most importantly, they're holding out against God. Yeah, and and I love this because you know he says, well, the exiles are are the good figs, uh, only because they have surrendered. You know, for whatever reason, uh, uh, you know, whether it's been genuine, you know, heeding the word of God or just pretty much taken uh, into exile. But yet they're they're in that process. And so, you know, they are, you know, having submitted to God's will in that sense, Mm. they are reckoned as good. I mean, this is, Mm. you know, I find that really interesting. So, you know, Jeremiah now predicts in chapter 25 this 70 years of captivity. Uh, well, it's 70 years serving the king of Babylon. That's yes. the way that he puts it. Yes. So if you take that from 605, which is when they come under the, under Babylonian rule, it's pretty much, you know, uh, by the time they get back uh, to Jerusalem at the end of the exile, it's, 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 right, within, it's right within that 70-year period. Yeah. So it's yeah. quite a remarkable prophecy in chapter 25 there. And of course, the false prophets at the same time, and we may come back to this a little later in our conversation, we're, yeah. we're trying to say, no, no, it's going to be only two years and they'll be back. And of yeah, course, that's right. Jeremiah yeah. then has to deal with that uh, a little later on. But yeah. there's all this, you know, even in amongst what's happening, the false prophets are still trying to actually, no, no, it's not that bad. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah, it's not yeah that that's bad. right. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting too in uh, in chapter twenty five mm. that he talks about this cup. Yes, uh, th- there's this cup to drink, and uh, and he says here, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me in verse fifteen of chapter twenty five: Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath, and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations to whom he sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings, officials make them a ruin, an object of horror and scorn uh, and a curse Mm. as they are today. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and it lists all of these nations. Basically, these are all the nations that are going to be you know, punished by this instrument in God's hand, that's, yeah. uh, the, the Babylonians. But even goes beyond that, doesn't it, really? Because I think further on in 25, it, you start to see a bit more of a sense of this is a, a worldwide... It's a, a worldwide a, judgment, it's a, yeah. It's, it's a humankind judgment. That's right. Um, and this cup of wrath is is really God's, a symbol of God's sort of 
judgment for sin and yeah, disobedience right. uh, for all people, really. And if you look at all the names that he, yes. the nations that he lists there, it's basically all of the known world at yeah, the time. Yeah. It, it's everyone. And so clearly, as you go down, it says, for example, in uh, verse 29, at the end of verse 29, for I'm calling down a sword on all who live in the earth, right? Verse 31, the tumult will resound to the ends of the earth, for the Lord will bring charges against the nations. Mm. He will bring judgment on all mankind. and put. So suddenly, this is the interesting thing with the way prophecy works, is you get this immediate thing happening. There's this judgment, but this is actually a foretaste of something ultimate. And this ultimate judgment is cast in this with this picture of the cup you know mm. that there is a it's like all of the offenses of humankind are being stored up in this cup yeah. right yeah uh, the cup of the lord's wrath and one day that cup is going to be poured out now it's interesting in revelation you see the seven bowls of god's wrath yes uh, and and it's similar idea there that it's mm. it's and it's connected with this and it's going to be poured out the bowls of god's wrath are poured out on the nations now, of course, this is significant because in the Garden of Gethsemane, right. and we read about this in Matthew chapter 26, you know, Jesus uh, says when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, let this cup be taken from, from me, me. Yeah. but not as you, you know, but not as I will, but as you will. And mm-hmm. then the second time he comes back and he says, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, mm-hmm. then may your will be done. And he submits to that. In, yeah. in other words, he's willing to drink the cup. Well, what cup is that? It's cup this cup wrath. here. There's, God's judgment. That's right. Uh, any any Jewish person at the, at, at the time, any person familiar with the prophecies of Jeremiah would recognize in that, ah, oh, he's taking the cup of ultimate judgment, yeah. the cup of the Lord's wrath, and he's going to drink it on behalf of those who put their trust in, in him. him. Yeah. It's a powerful, Absolutely. very powerful piece of imagery there uh, in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. I've always been uh, always been struck by that. But of course, J- Jeremiah also mentions just before we move out of yep. 25 that ultimately God is going to punish Babylon as well and yeah. restore the people to their land. So there's a little glimmer of hope in yep. then there. Yeah, that's right. Um, yep. uh, beyond uh, the judgment, obviously, yep. as, we, as we move into 26. Yeah. In, in chapter 26, Jeremiah is, you know, poor old Jeremiah, he's, mm. uh, he, he's constantly facing persecution, of course, because he's got a hard message to bring. And so... Uh, a whole bunch of people rally together, and they, they you know, they drag him uh, to to trial, and they demand that he's he be killed. You know, yeah. he's he's a heretic. He's you know a traitor to to our nation. It's interesting though because they they back off from this. Yes, um, you know, well they recall Micah's prophecy and how he came to Hezekiah, King yeah. Hezekiah, and kind of warned him, and and Hezekiah actually did repent and yeah. And delayed God's judgment, I think 12 months or 18 months yeah. or something rather, delayed that judgment. So in a sense, he's trying to call back and say, did they, in those days, did yeah. they kill that prophet? You know, and yet you're going to want to kill yeah. me, you know. And I think what this shows is, is that they do recognize Jeremiah as a yes. prophet. Yeah. I mean, of course, that compounds the problem or accentuates the problem because mm. they're not listening to yeah, him. That's right. Yeah. But they're certainly not willing to kill him because they do sense, man, this is a prophet of the Lord and that's pretty f- Serious thing to kill a prophet of the Lord. Mm. At least enough people think that. Yeah, and so you know that's an interesting situation. So they, in some sense, they acknowledge, or that at least they suspect that he may be a prophet of the Lord. And yet, do they really listen? Mm. Um, I mean, certainly some would have, but 
on the whole, they don't. So it's just a bit too inconvenient to yeah, listen, probably. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <clears throat> which can be true of us as well. It's interesting, though. I've just been reflecting on Jeremiah and the fact that God's commanding him to give these prophecies means God really does yeah. want them to repent. It's like yeah. it's it's not like he's just trying to tell them the bad stuff that's going to happen. He's really actually showing his compassion and his desire for them to turn from their wickedness. Really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Talks about another. I don't know if you. Notice this, Stu, but they talk. It talks about this other prophet, Uriah. Yes, that mm. they tell this, and it's in a, in in sort of parenthesis here. They're, they're evidently, and it shows that there are lots of prophets operating that we don't necessarily hear, hear about, about in the yeah. story. And, and he, this is story about the uh, prophet Uriah who brings what seems to be a similar, similar word, word to yeah. Jeremiah, Jeremiah, but he's actually killed. Yeah, and so we we don't know anything about uh, anything else really about this. Uh, this prophet, mm. but as I said, uh, Jeremiah is, is spared. Mm. They, there's this delegation that come uh, that comes from uh, envoys come from Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon, and they are all gathering in Jerusalem. Yep. And you know, this is during the reign of Zedekiah, and you know they're, they're planning what to do. You know, how, how are we going? And and I think they think that they can. Probably together, alliance yeah, and, if they form yeah. an alliance, we can stand together, you know, against this. So they're, uh, you know, these envoys are meeting, but God's, you know, sends, uh, you know, Jeremiah, well, well, Jeremiah sends this message to, to these envoys to take back to their kings, yes. basically saying, no, submit, um, submit yeah. to the king of Babylon. Uh, it's this isn't going to work. So he sort of crashes their party with some bad news. You know, they're all planning for success and mm. getting excited about holding out against the king of Babylon. And, um, you know, Jeremiah's uh, certainly uh, throws water on that fire. And we've got Jeremiah wearing the, wearing the yoke that he, he puts on for, yeah. um, for one of the false prophets in the, in the temple. Yeah, uh, that's right. And uh, yes, that's right. He 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 acts this out. That's yes, an interesting that's thing exactly in, right. in chapter twenty-seven. Yeah. Uh, so and and that's at the same time when the when the envoys are there. Mm. You know, he, there is Jeremiah. You know, wearing this yoke with straps and crossbars, and, and and it's this dramatic way of enacting a prophecy. I mean, you can imagine that. I mean, Jeremiah's really well known. He's walking around with a big oxen yoke, yes. big, this big wooden thing uh, on his shoulders. Wow, that's you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's dramatic. And then, of course, Hananiah, one of the false prophets, comes and, and yep. basically says, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, in two years, everything will be restored and the people will be back and uh, contradicts yep. really Jeremiah's message um, yeah. by predicting sort of a quick return of the exiles and the restoration of the temple and all those sorts of things. And, uh, and so he smashes the yoke off, That's right. off Jeremiah, but then God speaks and says, I'm going to put a metal that's right. Yoke on these That's right. An iron yeah, yoke an iron uh, yoke, on you yeah. because you did that. I'm going to put an iron uh, put an iron mm-hmm. yoke on you. So it's kind of a and this that's in uh, chapter 28. Okay. This kind of prophetic showdown there between Jeremiah and this false prophet uh, Hananiah, who you know who you know breaks the yoke and says, no, it's only going to be two years, and then you're going to come back, and all the articles are going to come back. And of course, that proves to be false because yes. uh, you know Jerusalem is destroyed, and the rest of the people in 586 Jerusalem is destroyed, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. Uh, and and in fact, in that same year, Hananiah himself he dies, and Jeremiah predicts that as well. And Jeremiah predicts because that. of this, because yeah. you're leading the people astray. Yeah, you know, you'll die within a year, and I think it's seven months later or something. He was he was dead. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles. So this is still uh, during uh, the reign of Zedekiah. Is this during the siege then or before the siege? Uh, That's a good question. This is to the existing exiles. Yeah. I think this might be just before the siege. Yeah, I think so. And 
you know, this is an interesting letter because I I feel like the the language of exile is used by the apostle Peter in his letter for us in our time. You know, yes. what, what it, you know, there's the sense that we are in a foreign land, even though it's not like heaven is somewhere else. But no. you know, we're 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 in a sense in a foreign land. We're in a state of exile, and we're to live as aliens and strangers within the world system, right? Yep. And and I've. I've always felt that this letter that Jeremiah sends to the exiles about, okay, what do we do now, mm. right? Because they're in exile. Mm. And to be clear, when the Jewish people were taken into exile, they weren't put in prisons and locked up and chained. They were resettled. So they were settled in towns. And the idea was that they, they would assimilate. assimilate. Yeah. 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 And that they would become like Babylonians. It was a way of making a nation disappear, right? Yes. Because if you put them in prison, they keep their distinctness and their sense of identity, right? And they get angry and yeah. we end up here again. You know, particularly with the Jewish people, it was very clear by that stage that this is a people that are holding very tight to their identity, right? Yeah. You know, there's a sense of entitlement that comes with their with their Jewish identity and what the Babylonians are trying to do. And it's very clever, actually. This tactic is very clever. We're mm. going to take most of the people, the leading people, and we're going to take them into Babylon. We're going to resettle them there. They will gradually, the idea is they'll gradually take on the religion and the, the culture of Babylon and they'll disappear actually as a distinct people group. So first of all, there's a danger there, but of course, what's built into the law of Moses, and this is, I think, very, there's a lot of foresight in this, this idea built into the law of Moses uh, of being distinct. Yes. And of course, it's during during the time of exile when they really take hold of this and they do maintain their distinctness. And, you you know, we read about that in the book of Daniel and yes. how they how they really remain, you know, they, they keep their sense of difference. But yes. they're, they're not, uh, you know, they're not to withdraw or, or uh, mm. you know, and, and he says here uh, in verse five, chapter 29 in this letter, he says, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find mm. wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you in exile. That's interesting. Yeah. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yeah. You know, so in in a way, they're not to treat. Uh, they're to be distinct and not get drawn into Babylonian life. But neither are they to treat. Babylon as an enemy, as yes. such, yeah. that they are actually to, or to separate themselves out completely, yeah. in a sense. Yeah, you know, what I mean, they they're in it, but not of it. That's right. Kind of thing. And, and yeah. that's the expression, you know, and and that's where I think that applies to us using totally. this language of exile that yeah. Peter uses about Christians, that we're to be in the world but not of the world, mm. Mm. and uh, and I think this is the model here, you know, in in that we do we are called to contribute to the world and 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 to pray for the, you know prosperity and and because if it prospers, we will prosper and and there's you know, the agents of peace a and good blessing. blueprint there yeah, yeah, for, for the Christian life in, in many respects. And again here, you know, he says in verse 10, this is what the Lord says, when the 70 years are completed for Babylon, uh, I will come to you and, and fulfill my good promise and bring you back. And then he says that's the famous uh, yes. part here in verse 11 of chapter, and this is chapter 29, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. So that's, a lot of people know those verses, but yeah. they don't know where they're from. That's right. Uh, that's from Jeremiah's letter to the Jewish exiles nice. during the reign uh, of Zedekiah. Mm. Interesting. Uh, and then interesting just towards there. the end it, uh, of chapter 29, the kind of the call to taking 
response, personal responsibility for their actions, yeah. um, you know, to repent of their idolatry and disobedience while they're in exile, obviously, and they're reminded the current situation is a result of their own choices and actions, mm. but there is um, the sense of praying to God and and he has given them a promise of hope for the yeah, future. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, so the letter goes to Babylon, yep. uh, and, and, and they read it there, and this guy, uh, Shemaiah, gets hold of it, and mm-hmm. he gets incensed. So there's still, even in... Even, even in, in exile. Babylon in exile, yeah. there is still there is even pr- false prophets there. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's the wolves in sheep's clothing thing that Jesus talked about, isn't it? Yeah. And and he is incensed by this, and he sends a letter back to uh, Zedekiah. Yes. And he says, "You got to put that maniac Jeremiah into irons. Honestly, like control this guy. He's sending these letters." He uh, mm. says in verse twenty-eight, "There he has sent this message to us in Babylon. It will be a long time. Therefore, build houses and settle down and plant gardens and um, and and so uh, you know. And of course, and then there's a bit of an interchange, and and Jeremiah sends a letter back to him and." Uh, and you know, and he says it's going to be all the worse for you. And of course, Shemaiah was really following on from uh, it was Hananiah's prophecy. Yeah, that's it was right. Like it's only going to be a short time. We'll be back soon. And yeah, Jeremiah's right. completely contradicting this and yeah. saying it's going to be seventy years. Yeah, you know? that's right. Because Hananiah had, had communicated that's that right. to the exiles. Yeah. And so this guy Shemaiah is holding on to that. Yes. And then you know when Jeremiah sends his letter saying no, it's going to be seventy years. Like what? Mm. That's you know that's like our 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 grandchildren's. Yeah. You know, we won't we won't be yeah, there. Probably. We won't be there yeah. you know you know interesting and, and so there's obviously resistance to that um there but you know it's still it's still good news and as we move into chapter 30 this is where you get these real you begin to get these uh oracles of hope now yes. because god wants his now that his people are going into exile he wants them to know uh, this is a time of restoration now right, right? and yep. Um, and the scope of this, of course, is much wider than just the restoration from exile in Babylon. There's always this double uh, sort yeah. of sense uh, to that. So, and it's interesting as it talks about that uh, restoration, it talks about being restored in verse nine. It says, uh, in that day, well, verse 8 says, In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God. And David, their king, whom I will raise up for them. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, again here, this is these messianic prophecies. Because the big issue here is, well, what about the king that will the always David, sit yep. on David's throne? And so, again, you've got this, and we see this at a number of points in the prophecies of Jeremiah, where he promises this righteous branch from this Davidic tree, yeah. you know, and this is these are messianic prophecies. And the, you know, this king is characterized as being David. Yes, uh, and and that's why you know when Jesus entered in Jerusalem riding on the donkey and they're putting down on that Palm Sunday, first Palm Sunday, you know they were crying out Hosanna to the Son of David, mm. and Son of David is it's a way of saying this is the fulfilment of these prophecies, prophecies yeah. uh, which it absolutely was. Mm. So he speaks in uh, verse twelve about well about no. this incurable wound. Yes. It's interesting, and this is a this is now a growing theme here. It's an important theme from here on. That points to the fact that what led them into this in the first place, this rebellion, actually is an incurable wound. Yeah. You know, in s- chapter seventeen, where says, you know, where Jeremiah says, "The heart is deceitful," mm. you know, mm. and, and desperately weak, and beyond cure, right? Yeah. And here again in verse twelve, you know, it says, "Your wound," Jeremiah says to them, "Your wound is incurable, and your injury beyond healing." And yet, down in verse seventeen, uh, he says. God says to them, but I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, yes. declares the Lord. So you think, well, how is that going to happen? We've got this incurable wound, this incurable 
you know, human nature, how is this going to be overcome? Mm. Well, it's going to explain that in, in chapter 31. Yes. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to read about how, basically, we're going to read about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Uh, now, in a, in a sort of an indirect way, mm. uh, though, so mm. it says here in, and I'll just jump forward to this now, Stu, chapter 31 from verse 31, very significant prophecy here. There, there are things that you need to underline in your Bibles, and this is a really important moment in the prophecy of Jeremiah because it's a prediction of the new covenant. And he says, the days are coming. This is Jeremiah 31 from verse 31. Easy to remember. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, Mm. because they broke my covenant. This is the incurable wound uh, thing. Though I was was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. So the promise here is there, there's going to be this internal, you know, the, the, and, and it, it's interesting because it does, he doesn't mention the Holy Spirit, but we know from Ezekiel, and Ezekiel is going to speak to this in Ezekiel chapter 36 and then chapter 37, uh, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and God dwelling uh, in the hearts of his people. Yeah. And this is how we'll know, you know, that we'll know in a sense the mind of God. And Paul talks about this in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this sense of, un, you know, sort of knowing the mind of God because we have the mind of God in, in us, us, you know, yeah. uh, or as he says elsewhere, we have the mind of Christ mm. by the Holy Spirit within us. So that's really the fulfillment, you know, the, the new covenant in a sense begins with with Pentecost and the um, and the outpouring of the Spirit, that's really the activation of these promises. Yeah. So it's it's really yeah it's uh, it's rich stuff here. And of course, in that there's the promise to bring the people back uh, as well, yeah, that's the, right. the imminent future as well as the you know. The... Well, and it's interesting actually the bringing the people back. He's talking, and this just goes back to the first part of chapter thirty-one, mm. where he's talking about the you know bringing and it's not just Judah actually no that's right because he keeps well. talking about Israel and mm. uh, because he's he's talks about Ephraim and when the prophets address Ephraim this is basically a way of being clear because sometimes Israel can mean all of the 12 tribes including Jews, Judah right usually around this time it means Israel means the northern kingdom but uh you know to be clear they often will use either Jacob, because sons of Jacob yeah. uh, were Ephraim and Manasseh. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, Ephraim was the largest of the, of the tribes as well. So often when it refers to Ephraim, it's just a shorthand way of referring to the northern kingdom. Yes. Okay. Yep. So now that's interesting because at this stage... They're scattered everywhere, really, aren't they? They're everywhere. Yeah. yeah. And they have assimilated. Mm. So there's no, in, mm. in, in a way, uh, well, from what we understand, they're mo- at least mostly assimilated. So the, 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 these prophecies about the ingathering of Ephraim is essentially the same as the only way that's going to happen is when God calls in the nations as such. Yes. And you get this sort of double thing uh, happening here uh, where, you know, you get this sense that this is the scope of this is pretty wide. You know, it's uh, not just relating yeah, to because, Israel and Judah. Even you know, they've, they've been scattered yeah. really among the nations, and so this prophecy is going to be fulfilled as God, 
you know, draw, you know, calls in draws the nations into, yeah. uh, into his kingdom. So, um, yeah, so that's an interesting point there in, in that first part of chapter 31. Um, then this interesting thing happens in chapter 32 where, you know, yeah. and I think now the siege has probably begun. Yeah. This is where Jeremiah, Jeremiah purchases sort of land. It's yeah. like, Hang on, you know, we're about to be overrun and you've been telling us this is going to happen. What is the point of purchasing land in a sense? But God yeah, God tells Jeremiah, Jeremiah to buy this ancestral land. land. Yeah. And, and actually part of that is that, you know, there was this practice that, that land had to somehow get back to the yes, traditional share, the original yeah. share under Joshua. And so ancestral land was very important, you know. So it was part of his, the land associated with his ancestral line and there's a kind of obligation that you should buy that land you know that you should possess the land that was promised to you but at this point that seems like a really bad investment studio yes exactly because like literally the babylonians are about to take possession of the whole thing and dispossess everyone and yet god is saying no jeremiah i want you to buy this land and jeremiah actually asks yeah Uh, why do i need to buy this land that's right this seems contradictory i feel like i'm if i'm doing this i'm denying the very word Mm. that i'm that i'm proclaiming and god reminds him yes but you're also proclaiming a word of restoration yeah that's right and this you know this comes really in the context of these oracles of restoration Mm. that are predicting the return from exile. So this is, in a sense, by buying this land. And remember, the prophet is meant to embody the message as well. So Jeremiah is being called to show and demonstrate his faith that that's right. they're going to come back, that his ancestors, because not him, mm. he's never going to come no, that's back, right. yeah. uh, but that one day his ancestors are going to come back and move into this uh, ancestral allotment. And, of course, that's going to happen in you know, another... 70 or yeah. 70 and there's even time. some symbolism in the fact that he's at, at this point in time sort of in the guard of the in the you know <clears throat> locked in the courtyard of the guard he's not allowed out so a bit like the siege he's indicating even though we're we're in captivity in a sense yeah. we're still going to go that's ahead right. and live uh, yeah, that's because right. we are expecting that um yeah that's right yeah uh you know and talking about uh you know the promise of restoration we'll finish with this uh today Stu. Yeah. um in chapter 33 there's this another promise of this righteous branch of, of healing. And there's a promise here of, it says in chapter 15, yep. in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. Uh, he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called. This is the righteous branch, the Lord, our righteous savior. Yeah. You know, uh, and and of course the That's, the name Yeshua, Yeshua in in Hebrew yeah, Jesus yeah, is yeah. you know God saves, yeah. and so you know he's predicting this Davidic king and his name is going to be the Lord our righteousness. That's yeah. a pretty. Oh yeah. Uh, he says in verse seventeen, for this is what the Lord says: David will never fail to have a man sitting on the throne of Israel. Mm. Nor and and this is interesting too. Nor will the Le- Levitical priests ever fail to have a man stand before me continually to offer burnt offerings, to uh, uh, to burn grain offerings and to present sacrifices. Which now, the interesting th- thing here is, and, and, you know, is that in 70 AD, of course, the temple is destroyed yes. and, and, the, and the offerings do actually stop. And they've never been resumed, mm. you know, for the last 2000 years. But... As the writer of Hebrews says, you know, that that Jesus ever lives to intercede at the right hand of the Father for us. So he is actually in doing this intercessory, this priestly role. That's this right. is the the eternal priesthood of Jesus. Mm. 
that the writer of Hebrew speaks to, that is the fulfillment of this promise. Mm. Otherwise, is God has God been faithful to this promise? Yeah. You know, without Jesus, no, there's you, you can't really argue for that. It's unless you argue for a you know for, for a period perhaps, but man, two thousand years. Yeah, it's a long period. You know, I, yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting. You know, you get. Uh, I mean, and Jesus, of course, predicted the destruction of Jerusalem and, mm. and the you know ceasing yep. of s- sacrifices and yep. and but he, of course, he is this. He is that high priest. So yes. he is the priest king. Uh, you know th- that th- these are the roles of Christ. He is the ultimate prophet. You know, he is the incarnate Word. He is the ultimate King, the Davidic King, and he is our High Priest who ever lives to intercede for us. And you know, we we are in this time of fulfillment. I mean, Stu, this is the wonderful thing about this. We can read this now, and it's not some some future, future hope, mm-hmm. but this you know the 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 new covenant that. Jeremiah speaks of we are in that and we can enjoy that right now that new heart and knowing the God knowing our God not in some distant sort of sense uh, but actually in with this inward reality that God is within us and we can know God from this intimate vantage point and hear his voice and heed his voice uh, you know the word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah is actually in our hearts this is the remarkable thing uh, now but the question it always is will we heed the word of the Lord and that is the question uh, that begs throughout the prophecy of Jeremiah will we heed the word of the Lord because he always wants to lead us on to something better thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. We really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading as we go through the Bible with Thrive. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper and thrive. Thrive.